This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where, unfortunately, there's another disappointing Everton result to look back on. Blues drew 1-1 with Crystal Palace at Goodison Park. It looked like James Rodriguez's second half goal, really nice finish from him. Was going to be the uh, was going to be the deciding factor on Monday night, but uh, a goal from substitute Michi Batuai with a couple of minutes left got earned a point for Roy Hodgson's side at Goodison Park. I'm your host Adam Jones, and I'm today joined by Dave Prentice, Sam Carroll, and Gav Buckland to talk about uh, the match. And Prenna, we'll start with you. I think disappointing, probably the best word to describe it, isn't it? Disappointing, frustrating. The, Everton have dropped two points there and uh, not been able to get all three. Frustration is the absolutely overriding emotion. You feel like you're banging your head against the wall so many times. I mean, how often have we said that this season? And yet, last night's game wasn't, you know, typical of some of the home games we've seen this season because even though we didn't play particularly well, created chances galore. And that's what's the most frustrating thing. You know, on a normal night, it could have been, the 3-1 three, three or 4-1 result that, you know, we were predicting or I was predicting last week. Uh, and that's what makes it the most frustrating part of things. I mean, how often have we been told we've got to be patient? Let's be patient. You know, so let's just let the, uh, you know, the Carlo master plan unfold. And it's the same message again today. You know, you know, Evertonians are the most patient football fans out there. We've been patient for the last 25 years. But we need to continue to be patient. I mean, looking at social media this morning, and it makes you want to despair because, you know, suddenly Carlo Ancelotti is an awful manager. Suddenly Dominic Calvert-Lewin is a terrible striker. Suddenly Richarlison, you know, is a liability. None of those factors are correct. It's just that people knee-jerk reaction after a result like that. So, yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, it's really, really disappointing. But we need to just dig in a little bit and just, you know, try and stay as patient as possible because there are positives this season. Lots of positives. Last night was a negative, but yeah, you know, it was. Uh, it, it's not completely fatal to our hopes of, you know, achieving something this year. So let's try and be as patient as we can. Mm. Sam, how did you? Uh, how did you see the game? It was a very, very rare occasion that me and you were both, both at Goodison Park for this one. Uh, not probably not the return to Goodison Park that you wanted, though, was it? No, no, I was a little bit like uh, I was a little bit like Jabamon last night, making a, a long awaited return. Uh, not not as many days out, but I think it's just started to turn a little bit now. And, and I think, to be honest, I think unless you're the most optimistic Everton fan in the world, which sometimes I can be, but uh, you know, watching those games over Christmas when we were doing really well, you know, it was Chelsea one nil. Could that have easily been a draw? Yeah, you know, Arsenal, when we beat them, could they have nicked a draw? Certainly. Sheffield United, that sneaky 1-0, very poor performance again. But we, we were just edging these games and things were just starting to fall in our, in our favour. But, you know, even I think if you spoke to Carlo and David Ancelotti and Duncan Ferguson, I, I just don't think anyone thought that could continue in, in the vein it was going. And it hasn't really over the last few games, but I think is what what is more disappointing is that when you take a lead at home, five minutes to go, just keep it tight, just do the basics. Don't let a man stand by himself in the penalty area. You know, don't let a player drive through the midfield the way we did. Um, so you know, we 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 were the architects of our own of our own downfall at the end of the day, which is annoying. But 
as Preno said, it's, it's about not being too knee-jerk. But to be honest, with, with each game that goes past now, without trying to be, without trying to be the Gav Buckland, without letting Gav Buckland speak, <laughs> I, I, I can't see. Uh, <laughs> I, I just can't see now how this team gets into the top six just on the way we're playing, and I, and I still think you know freak result for Chelsea, but. You know, even when we played them at Stamford Bridge, they're a very good team. Liverpool annoyingly starting to pick up a bit of confidence again, which which isn't great. Um, so I just think top six might just be a little bit out of reach, and I think it's finally starting to show that Carlo was getting a lot out of these players over Christmas, and you know, with injuries and you know the momentum obviously stopping with with a couple of defeats and going out the FA Cup and things like that. Uh, it it doesn't feel great, so. I think now this Brighton game just becomes massive to even just keep yourself in where, you know, you don't want to be the team who with four or five games to go are fighting it out for ninth or tenth. You know, even if you're still talking about the Conference League or, or sneaking sixth, at least it's something to go for. So a massive game on Monday night. But if you play Crystal Palace, Fulham, Newcastle, Burnley, uh, I'm sure there's someone else I'm missing out there as well. But the, there's five games this this season where we've taken one point from them against teams you're expected to beat. So if that's your return in games like that and your overall home return is what it is, then you probably don't deserve to qualify for Europe, as, as annoying that is. But look where we are from this time 12 months ago. So as Prem said, it's a case of onwards and upwards and seeing what Carlo can do in the summer window. But I just really hope that we can keep ourselves in that conversation because it's been a while since we've got into the final four or five games of a season and, and had something to play for. And I really hope this isn't... a a complete tailspin now towards the end of the campaign. Mm. I think, Gav, it's it's only natural for Sam to, you know, lump in the, this result with the likes of, you know, defeats to Fulham, Newcastle, West Ham, Leeds, Burnley, you know, the, the list unfortunately goes on. You know, it's only natural that, that this result is going to get lumped in with that. But on the balance of the game, this one was a little bit different, wasn't it? Everton had the chances in this one, you know, it could have been on another day, 5-6-1 to Everton, really. Uh, if these are taking their opportunities, but you know they just weren't clinical enough in front of goal, and we've not really said that enough about Everton this season, have we? You know, I think Everton have been uber clinical with most of the chances that have come yeah. throughout the season. Yeah. The very few chances that they've managed to create, it was a very different story this time round, wasn't it? Absolutely. Well, as Pleno alluded to there, the, the match had a different feel to recent um, home performances since, well, not recent since, but beginning of January. Um, yeah, I mean, we could have been home and dry by half-time, really. I mean, Richarlison could have had two by half-time, Cavalier missed a one-on-one, and then same in the, the second half. So, the, the, the chances were there. I'm not sure the creativity was, to be fair, but um, we should have been home and dry, but it's the biggest truism in football, you know, if you don't score the goals that you sort of deserve to, at some point you're going to be penalised and that happened in five minutes from time and we've only got ourselves to blame, uh, although Palace, I argue, they deserve the point uh, and they create a couple of opportunities of their own, um, on the balance of like, you know, great chances, we, we, we would deserve winners but and Preno's right. I don't think you know some of the stick given towards Carvalho and Richarlison since the game is, is justified in their overall ability. But that doesn't mean that they should uh, not be averse to some criticism. I mean, Carvalho and the two one-on-ones mean one one of them most places stay forward one-on-ones, 
And that shows sometimes the weakness in his game, isn't it? He's a he's a he's a player who thrives on service from the flanks and from the byline. And um, if the he's a classic, you know, he's a one touch finisher, isn't he? If the ball's played through to him to run on to, he's not necessarily the same same player. Uh, and he deserves criticism, I think, for those two chances missed. And Richarlison, yeah, though he had one of those nights, um, he should have had a couple, shouldn't he, Richarlison? Mm. Well, one he was denied by a great save by the keeper in the second yeah. half, but the one in the first half where he, he, did, he did everything nice, he cut inside, he had the goal as mercy. And, he, every, you know, even the keeper anticipated he was going to go to the keeper's left rather than uh, go the other way. And uh, that was a bad miss. So, yeah, I, I agree. It has a different feel to previous games. But at the same time, perhaps we didn't do enough. And, in the, in, you know, looking at, back at this result in 12, 18 months' time, it'll just have one or, won't it? It won't say, yeah, oh, but this was a different game to what's gone before. And as we, you may say a good point after the game, Adam. I said that that was the definitive must-win game. Yeah. And that, I think that's the frustration, isn't it? Not necessarily, um, you know, anything else. That's the frustration we spoke before on the pod, the pause the last 10 games. That was one we had to win. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that was that, that's part of the frustrations as well. And I think that's sort of reflected in some of the stick that Carlo and the two strikers have had. Mm. Well, Preno, Calvert-Lewin's taken to social media. Uh, this morning uh, to address his missed chances yesterday. He said, nowhere to hide this morning. I'm disappointed I didn't take my chances yesterday. We learn and we move a week to regroup and time to kick on next Monday. Is that the kind of thing that you want to be seeing from him? You know, it, it's very much a, a case of, yeah, I didn't take my chances. I own up to that, but I'm going to move on and I'm going to try and get better. Yeah, 100% you do because, you know, it shows that he has taken responsibility on his shoulders and he is aware of what's being said out there. And he's a little bit uncomfortable sometimes because it makes you think, well, you know, is he reading all this nonsense on social media? And that's the why he's, the, why he's reacted the way he has. Or, you know, is he just thinking, well, you know, I know he's probably his own harshest critic. He realises he should have done better. And uh, he's decided to put it out there. I mean, it's the kind of thing that, you know, in, in the past, you'd probably be asking players themselves, you know, so as members of the media, do you want to say anything to the fans? Do you want to address the fans? Obviously, now, in, you know, all footballers have social media accounts so they can address the fans directly. And he's chosen to do that. And I would like to think it's been quite well received. I mean, uh, like you say, the knee-jerk reaction is for people to have a little pop and have a moan and complain about his, uh, his proficiency when he's one-on-one with goalkeepers. Although, to be fair, he was one-on-one with the West Ham keeper earlier this season from uh, another equally good uh, long ball from Michael Keane. And he uh, converted it quite, you know, adeptly. So, you know, he's not quite as bad on one-on-ones as people think he is. And by the way, too often a tangent, that Mason Holgate pass, how sensational was that to, uh, yeah. to actually put him clean through at the time? So, yeah, you know, there are positives if you look through it. But the fact that he's actually taken that responsibility on his shoulders and the fact that he's aware that he can do better and he'd be working hard to try and address it, I think it's a positive. You know, I, I always quite like seeing footballers, you know, sort of do things like that rather than just go into a shell and try and hide and try and you know, pretend it didn't happen almost. So, yeah, you know, so I, I think it's a good thing and I'm pleased to read that today. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And I think, Sam, one of the things that, you know, sometimes you can't account for, not not to make excuses for Dominic Calvert-Lewin or Richarlison or anything like that, but Guaita did have a good game, didn't he? Especially in the second half, he pulled out some really, really good, good saves to uh, to keep 
to keep the score down for Palace, really, didn't he? I think it's just a difficult one, isn't it? That you know, obviously Calvert Lewin's came out and said the right things today. Obviously, uh, Vicente Guaitas saved those efforts, saved those shots, but obviously the the both should have scored. So it just it, it was one of those games, wasn't it? That they can't score all the time. I think it was just more the the manner of the chances, and it almost feels with the two of them sometimes like the if if they have time to think. Uh, that that they, they mess up, you know what I mean. That if it's more instinctive, if it if it comes more natural to them, which which is a bit of a worry sometimes. You know, we've we've seen it. Well, I've certainly seen it in my lifetime with someone like Ross Barkley, who had all the kind of physical attributes, but I think it was always his football and brain that that let him down, and his decision making process that let him down. So that was what more just annoyed me yesterday was that you know it, we're not just talking about one or two chances where you come away and you say. Charles had that half chance and then Calvert-Lewin could have scored that you know talking six, seven chances which if you just take a minute and and, and compose yourself that, that you're scoring but at the end of the day it's easy, it's easy enough for me to be uh, sitting on my bed and saying that isn't it so so it's a diff- it is a difficult one but I think now uh, the, the main tonic would, would be goals for both of them against Brighton because I think you know, you see which strikers when they go on bad runs or they miss a few chances. I think it's the mental side, which which can be difficult as well. So, all all the factors tied into it. I think it's just as Gav saying last night, just felt like that game with the results of the weekend. A lot of results went in our favour, but then you know Liverpool won and Arsenal. Um, sorry, Liverpool won and then and West Ham obviously won last night as well. Afterwards, so you know it it just kind of does feel now a little bit like we we've missed that chance and. You know, it's it's also a good a good thing I think in the long run for for Calvert Lewin and Richarlison because I think we're hoping that we can build a team around them over the next few years moving towards Bramley Moore. I think Marcel Brands had a lot of confidence, didn't he, when he first came to the club and there was a clamour. You know, finally, can we replace Lukaku? Can we go and buy a striker? Can we buy a 60, 70 million pound player to to play up front for us? But I think Brands did always have in the back of his mind that Calvert Lewin was going to be a talent and. He's been proved right this season. So, you know, I, I don't think it's any bad thing for Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison to wake up this morning or to be directly told, you know, he's cost us an important three points there. So, um, you know, that's that's not a bad thing for their learning curve in the future to kind of go away and think about that and, and hopefully make sure it never happens again. Mm. I think, Gav, you mentioned earlier a bit of a lack of creativity uh, from Everton yesterday. And I think, you know, Barden, James Rodriguez, who we'll get on to in a little bit. I think you were spot on, really. I can't really remember many chances uh, being created uh, through like a, a good bit of play by Everton. I think the, the one the one that uh, sticks out to me in the first half was when Andre Gomez and Richarlison were running through and they were two on one. And for some reason, <laughs> Gomez passed it to Richarlison in an offside position instead of just yeah. the ball and splitting the defender. It was, very, it was a very weird sort of decision, but... How do you think the Everton uh, setup played into their sort of creative creativity? It looked like a looked like a three-five-two yeah. almost, but it didn't yeah. really seem to uh, didn't really seem to suit them throughout the game, did it? No, if you, if you call it the simplicity of three-four-three um, with Rodriguez and Cavalier and Charleston up three, you've got a middle four of Dina, Coleman, Gomez, and Davis. So where's the creativity there? I mean, Dini will, will provide quality from out wide. Andre is a one-assist-this-season player. 
Seamus Davis not really going to provide him with much. I thought Seamus played really well last night. And Davis played really well last night. I think it's been ignored. So Tom had a good game. Uh, so those four collectively aren't going to do a lot in terms of um, consistently supplying um, service to the front three. So you're then left with Rodriguez. And, you know, you're playing Crystal Palace with all due respect. Bully's going to set up, set up deep um, and try and grow into the game. And I think in that middle... That middle four, if you're playing two defenders out wide and Davis and Gomez in the middle, you've got to get Sigerson in there, haven't you, from the start? I know that happened later on, but Gilfie had to start for me because the, the, the side's imbalanced. You've five defenders on the pitch with, it, with it, Tom as a defensive midfielder. That only leaves you with four players. And Gomez ain't going to uh, provide a, a half full of assists, as I say. So Sigerson had to be on the pitch for me from the start. Thought the balance of that middle four was was wrong, uh, and uh, that contributed, I think, to the fact that, as Peno alluded to there, um, after Rodriguez, Holgate was probably our most player who, who contributed the most going forward. He had some great balls, but Holgate last night didn't he? Across field, um, yeah, he had a decent game, uh, and and it was that answer your question. Uh, it was the middle four. The balance wasn't right. We needed an attacking player in place of one of them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we're discussing James Rodriguez there, Pereno. I mean, he was, he was Everton's one shining light, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I mean, I don't know. I mean, talking about the balance of the sides, I mean, we still created chances. I mean, it did look lopsided and I can't, you know, totally agree that Gilfie should have been in there somewhere, especially a team like Crystal Palace, who you would anticipate, you know, you can guess at. Um, but we still created chances, you know, so there's still opportunities out there. And, you know, rather than the creativity aspect of it, I think it's just the ability or inability to finish the chances is what let us down. And there were so many issues on the night. I mean, I've seen this morning the old, the old leadership thing has been uh, brought up again. And, you know, it often is when you've had a bad result. But I think it was one particular incident that irritated a number of people when, you know, a dangerous free kick is won on the edge of the penalty area. And it looked like Lucas Dean wanted to take it. It looked like Hammers fancied a, a go at us. And uh, Richarlison was absolutely adamant that no, he was going to take it. And it just, I don't know, leaves you a little uncomfortable. It's it's not quite the same as, you know, sort of Ross Barkley or Kevin Morales demanding, you know, sort of penalty kicks uh, from Leighton Baines. But heading down that, that route, you know, surely these things are discussed pre-match. And somebody is told if it's on the right side of the penalty area, it's you know one play. If it's the left side, it's another. The same as penalty kicks. So for some degree of like anarchy to suddenly reign, you know, so in the middle of a match, leaves you a little uncomfortable. You know, so where where is the leadership? You know, so who's actually making these decisions on the pitch? But you know, all manner of like sort of questions arise after a game like that, and uh, you know, there's there's no obvious easy answer. So, you know, who do we blame? You know, so did Carlo get it wrong in his team selection? You know, so could he have made the team a little bit better balanced? Personally, I just think it's one of those nights where you just have, you know, sort of an off night in front of goal. I mean, we're not particularly renowned for our finishing this season. I mean, Dominic Cavalier has got this great ratio, hasn't he, of, uh, of finishing chance. Uh, finishing uh, to chances actually created, although that will have taken a hit after last night. So, you know, is it a one-off? You know, so can we go forward? I don't know. The biggest issue for me is the fact that it was another home game, another match at Goodison that, you know, we dropped points in. And do we put that down to the fact that there were no fans in there? Is it a really freak season? 
I'm asking loads of questions here because I don't know the answers because, you know, it is, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those really strange seasons that, you know, just leaves you scratching your head and completely perplexed. And I wouldn't know where it's going to go next. I mean, you know, so Brighton on Monday is a really, really difficult game. They're playing well at the moment. But I wouldn't put it past us going there and doing like what we did at Wolves and, you know, so what we did at other grounds this season and getting the results. It's a weird old season. I really I can't even begin to try and like sort of rationalise it at all. Think what mm-hmm. I think. Think what Prano said about the Richarlison thing as well was it was a little bit I think un- un- uncomfortable was probably the the word that I was kind of searching for there last night when when I was thinking about it because at the end of the day it's it's tough because you know off the pitch Richarlison I think is probably the player for me you know post David Moyes either that you can most kind of resonate with you know he's he's great off the pitch I think there was that last week wasn't there where. You know, he's seen a young a young lad who's a big fan and he, and he takes a shirt out for him and poses for pictures. And he certainly does have a, a really close bond with Everton fans. But And Lukaku went through a similar stage where, you know, when they first came and it felt like they maybe had something to prove, it was all smiles and, and things like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's this kind of constantly moody, sulking kind of attitude, which, you know, obviously I think a part of that is, is what get you to where you want to go, you know, when you're in elite football, you know, I still believe even with Hammers in the squad, I think Richarlison on his game flying when you get him on the ball is, is the, is the most, is the best player in the team. I think he's the most dangerous player in the team for what he, what he can do when he drives the defenders, but I kind of just want to see him look like he's enjoying himself again. You know, there was the little thing with Sigurdsson, wasn't it over the Chelsea penalty and, you know, Sigurdsson showed proper ball on that game to, you know, Basically, get get asked if you if you won't take it for someone else, and and, and to say no, I'm doing it, and, and put it in the bottom corner anyway, and and then but that yesterday, yeah, you know, Luca Dean scored three kicks for Everton. You've got Hamid Rodriguez around it. You've got Gilfie Sigurdsson around it, and Richarlison kind of gets his own way, which I think points towards obviously the respect he has from from those players for how good he is, which which I don't think anyone is denying, but. You know, I really hope Carlo can just get that smile back on his face because he spoke last week, Richarlison, about kind of talking to Carlo this season about his playing position, maybe loosening the shackles on his kind of defensive duties that he was expected to perform. And and to be fair, it seems like it benefited him. I think he got six goals in six games after that. But again, since then, there's been a little drop-off. There's just been, you know, a little bit too much sulking for me, a little bit too much of an attitude, I think. I think every great player needs something of it, but I think timing is everything in some ways when you've got to know when to switch it on and to switch it off. And okay, it's easy to point a finger at him when he hasn't had a great game and he saved Everton time and time again since since we bought him. And I still think he's the kind of player you've got to enjoy because he won't be uh, at the club forever before someone comes calling for him. But I still think that if we're to finish in the top six this season, there's there's big pressure on his shoulders and to get the best out of him, Carlo has to find a way of just unlocking a little bit of joy in, in his game again and be really interesting to see how he does that. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, Gav, I'll let you have a first runner, James Rodriguez, after last night then. Uh, out of In a performance that was probably very devoid of quality, I'd say throughout, James Rodriguez was very often the one providing, providing all the quality for Everton, wasn't he? Absolutely. After a slow start, I think he uh, grew into the game. He got classes a couple of times last night. And every time you see him go yeah. down, you panic, don't you? <laughs> you know, I think um, 
you know, it is a worry given it was his first game back. Um, yeah, oh, he's a thoroughbred footballer, isn't he? Um, he's played for you know Real Madrid. You know, so you you'd expect him to have quality. Um, and he showed it in patches last night. As you said, you know that 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 why that ball wide to Dina. He's got in his locker. It's just it's just lovely to watch, isn't it? And yeah. his goal. It was a bit. It was a building goal. I thought that, that's. A, I mean, with his with his wrong foot as well. I thought. Um, I thought the goal should give credit to uh, a lot more credit to. It wasn't just a great finish by Hamas, but it was also good work from Coleman, who could have initially just lobbed the ball back into the area, couldn't he? Um, yeah. But he took, showed his experience. Took his time. Waited to uh, waited for the the right moments and fed it perfectly into uh, Hamas's path. He, he, that was a, I mean that was a great finish. That was a that was the finish of a, a top player. Um, that's a cliche, isn't it? A half. Um, and, and it was it was, dis- it was disappointing, really. You know, we spoke about Carlo getting stick, and I, I felt that you know should we just kept him on for the ninety minutes? Mm. You know, um, took him off. Brought that was cool to see. JP Cabaman back in the fold. I'm not sure that was a substitution that was warranted and gave Palace the opportunity to to go for a little bit more. Um, but yeah, he, he did. Let's face it, he didn't show anything last night that uh, we didn't know already, did we? You know, his, his problem is being game time, not what he's done in games. And uh, yeah, it was good to see him back, and we looked at, we looked better uh, for it on occasions. Mm. Thank you. Gav raises a good point there, Preno. I think that's something that I brought up in my post-match piece after the game yesterday as well. You know, taking off the decision to take off Hamez after 79 minutes, whether Hamez has said that he was tired or that Carlo thought that he looked tired or whatever it was. I mean, you know, we've rested him since mid-February to make sure that he was available for these last 10 games of the season. At 1-0, that game was still in the balance, wasn't it? And as soon as Hamas Rodriguez went off, you were just wondering you know, when Batchwhite scored. You just thought to yourself, where to, where's a, where's an Everton goal going to come from here? Because everything was going through Hamas, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And the game was getting more and more stretched and more and more open in that last like quarter of an hour, which is when you would imagine you know so somebody like Hamas would be able to absolutely flourish. It probably was an, an overly negative uh, substitution. I mean, I think Carlo said in his pre-match build-up, he wanted to give Gabamin uh, some game time if he could. And uh, in his pre-match you know, sort of TV interview, he said that Gabamin himself was desperate to play you know, some part in the game. So he was clearly doing that. And as Gavin mentioned earlier, you know, I was a bit worried about Hamas's fitness at times. I mean, there were occasions where he t- looked like he'd taken a bang on the ankle and he was grimacing a bit and moving a little bit gingerly. And he's going to be so important between now and the end of the season because he does do what nobody else in that squad does, which is you know, create goals out of nothing. I mean, it's not just his ability to switch play, but his set pieces are on an absolute class of their own. And let's not forget how good that goal was. I mean, you see it, you know, when it's played back again, you're thinking, how on earth has he managed to bend it into that corner? It looks like a simple enough finish, and it wasn't. It was a packed goal mouth in front of him. And, you know, Richarlison, Dominic Calvert-Lewin had failed to get the ball past the, you know, goalkeeper. He managed to get the ball past the goalkeeper and about four or five covering defenders. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin was also crouching down in front of him. It was just an absolute class finish that he made look really, really easy. And I get the impression that, you know, we're going to have to almost like wrap him in cotton wool. And maybe that's what Carlo was doing. You know, we'd got best part of, you know, sort of 85 minutes out of him. We thought, well, let's not take any chances. We don't want him picking up any injuries. Let's bring him off. 
But it's a high-risk strategy doing that, you know, when the game is so finely poised. If it had been 2-0, if it had been 3-1 by that stage, fair enough, you can understand that. When it isn't, you are taking a bit of a gamble. And Carlo did gamble, and unfortunately, you know, so it came up, you know, sort of a loser. Probably was an unnecessary substitution, but, you know, a number of the substitutions, you know, so it didn't really fill you with that much confidence last night. And it's not often we can say that. And I know Carlo does things very much his own way. And, you know, he is... As we've said many, many times on here, you know, one of the world's elite level managers. So who the hell are we to question what he's doing? But you know, when you do make a change and it doesn't work out, you know, you're absolutely right to be questioned. And last night it didn't work out, unfortunately. Mm. We'll come on to the other substitutes in a sec. But Sam, am, am I right in saying this was your first time watching Hammers Rodriguez in the flesh? Yeah, yeah, you'll be you'll be hundred percent right saying that. How, how how did you make it? How did you make of him? Like what what did you think? I, I think I done a tweet when when he scored. Sexy it would be my one word. <laughs> <laughs> I was just kind of embarrassed by saying that, but yeah, you put it out there for the world to see. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I couldn't hear. I couldn't think of anything else to say. It was just I, I think what stands out is that you know people people have said it before, but I think he is the first one there yesterday where you know you watch him and he can have like five men around him. He just looks like he's got all the time in the world. And, Geez, his his way to pass is just for anyone like me who's been trying to get themselves back into six aside and eleven aside over the last week or two. You know that 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 way to pass and getting your passing right and your first touch right is so difficult. And okay, you know we're talking totally different levels, obviously. But I'm not I'm not saying I'm as good as Hamas Rodriguez. I'm not saying I'm as bad as Hamas Rodriguez. But you know the the way but the way he just comes back in, you know, hasn't played since February and, and early early doors, he's just picking the ball up and he, he is totally, you know, just the epitome of a player who who dictates games. You know, it, it's all if if James Rodriguez is on form, which I think he was for maybe take out the opening 15, 20 minutes of that yesterday, but and until he came off, I, I think he controlled that game and yeah, you know, I I can see where Carlo was coming from because at the end of the day, if if James pulls up on ninety minutes and we're one 0 up and we go on to win that game, and you're like, why didn't he take him off? Obviously, it, it looked bad, but I just think that it was all it was psychological as well. I was speaking to Michael Ball earlier; he made the good point that you know I, I think bringing Gabamon on, you know, it, I I think it was a. a more of a symbolic substitution by by. Ancelotti, and but I think bringing him on, you know, taking off the most influential attacking player on the pitch for Jabam, and I almost think that gave Palace the, uh, you know, the thought to say, hang on, these these aren't trying to score a second, or these aren't just going to keep the ball from us. These these are just going to sit in, like let's have a go. Do you know what I mean? So you know, we really we we felt an impact of them going off there, but again, I I just wish we were sitting here talking with three points because we would now I would be saying, you know, Hannes. If he stays fit and he plays like he did for the majority of that game, we're getting Champions League because, honestly, you know, I, you know, all of us here have had season tickets and that in the past. And I think about myself growing up and how made up I would have been to be going to match with my dad and watching a player with, with Hammers. And you know, for anyone listening, I, I do hope you know how much kind of I appreciated that yesterday to be able to watch him live in the flesh. And, and I would love next season for Everton fans to not only be able to see Hammers, which hopefully, you know, with the way the vaccine stuff going, they will, but to, to be able to see him in at least the Europa League because, you know, the way he plays, I, th- I think we'd have a chance of winning it, you know, with all the nows that Carlo has. So, 
you know, that that that's a big one for me next season. You know, he is such a lovely player to watch. Someone you can really, really appreciate watching. Someone who makes you put your pen down. You know, if you're at home, your phone down, whatever. You just want to watch him and see what what he does next. You know, it it really was a it really was a pleasure that yesterday. So, you know, a big nine games coming now to because at the end of the day, that's what Hammers wants as well, isn't he? he hasn't came to Everton to finish tenth and get knocked out of the FA Cup in the quarterfinal. As he's came to finish fourth, he's came to challenge the top. He's came to win trophies. So, you know that that that's a big one for me now. We're not just doing it for ourselves, for the club, for Carlo. You know, it's to get players like Alan. Hammers, uh, you know, Richarlison into European competition where then we can hopefully start winning trophies. So, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I loved watching them for 80 minutes yesterday and hopefully get a couple more chances uh, before the end of the season, before everyone else gets the pleasure as well next, next season. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think, of course, you know, the substitution of Hammers was a big moment in the game, Gav, but it's, I'd say... The substitution of Seamus Coleman was probably also quite a significant moment in the second half. Now, I think we talked in the uh, in the podcast before the game that you know Seamus Coleman had had a lot of international football over the break, so you know perhaps that played into Carlo Ancelotti's thinking when he uh, when he took the the captain off. But what what did you make of that change and how it affected Everton afterwards? Well, it's, it's combined with the uh, Gabalan change, isn't it? Really, it may not have been a, a, a... Significant change if if Rodriguez has stayed on the pitch. Thought James played really well up and down. Um, he yeah. didn't look like a player who played three times in six days for for Ireland. Uh, as mm-hmm. I say, I thought was, we should should give him great credit for the 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 goal. Um, mm-hmm. And Godfrey, you know, he's, he's played really well this season. Um, and he got. I know Keane was was a fault for the goal, but. Godfrey also got too far, too far away from the back line, didn't he? Um, which left the space behind, which is always the risk. You know, we always say this when we play three at the back. Your risk is the the space on either side of the the, the wide centre centre halves, and and that happened there. Him going forward created that space, and uh, Batshuayi, um, you know. Was you know was given the opportunity to equalise. It reminds me a little bit of, you know. Henderson's disallowed goal in the derby where we yeah. got caught out where Alcantara played the ball in and I can't remember who was it was it um, Mane was in the source of similar position on his own to where yeah. Batshuayi was last night yeah. because we'd left space on it on, on the side of this, the right hand side of the centre half and it was sort of he was in the same sort of scenario uh, last night we got away with it against Liverpool, obviously, but we got penalised for it last night. And you would like you would like to think that maybe Seamus, with his experience, would have been, you know, in line with the with the the rest of the defence and, and closed that space off. Um, I say not, you know, notwithstanding the fact that that Keane was at fault as well. I mean, that was the sort of mistake I get pilloried for in five aside, and quite rightly so, and <laughs> for leaving my man, but. Uh, it was an interesting comment by Rob Green, I thought, and in comments he saying that he felt that uh, Jonas Olsen came out too far to the stage. I, I, th- I think that's strange. It's just I'm 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 no goalkeeper, so maybe maybe Sam could offer some some more insight on this. But I thought Olsen came out quite quickly to try and close down the angle, and I think he, you know he did quite well in doing that. Really, from from the. Uh, 
for the reaction time that he had. And, you know, it was, it was just a good finish from Batshuayi in the end, wasn't it? And he shouldn't really have been in that position to, to score in the first place. Yeah, I think we need the full form at Everton goalkeeper Sam Carroll to uh, to fill us in on this with his expertise. <laughs> I think as a as a former professional Everton goalkeeper as well. Sorry, Sam. Uh, Sorry, Sam. Uh, you know, I th- it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because especially think, I think commentators uh, can sometimes fall victim to thinking the footy is played in a. You know, you get the luxury of watching these goals. Remember in slow mo, don't you? And I think, you know especially over the last couple of years and all this kind of great equipment that Sky and BT have, I think, you know, you can blame someone for every single goal at the end of the day, don't you? But it's it's just nitpicking. At the end of the day, who, who cares what he, that commentator's got to say? If, if Ancelotti has given Olsen a, a rollicking for conceding that, then I'd be very, very surprised. You know what I mean? He's came out, he does what's natural for a goalkeeper when a player is at that angle to to give him a sight of as little of the goal as possible and, he, and he's done well to score but as Adam says look should he have been stood in that position with no one marking him no absolutely not you know a real lack of concentration from the midfield from Keane from Godfrey unusual for them too to be honest um, but yeah any, anyone saying that's Olsen's fault can uh, you know I'm, I'm not having that for one second now <laughs> glad that we've uh, we've cleared that up but uh, Preno going back to Seamus Coleman what did you What did you make of his uh, his display? I thought he was you know, one of Everton's best players on the pitch he was, on the day. Yeah, he was. He was comfortably one of the brighter performers. And uh, again, when you know we talked in the pre-match uh, podcast about how concerned we were that he'd been asked to play three games in the space of the international break uh, for the Republic of Ireland, so we thought there might be a little bit of uh, I don't know leg weariness there. In the end, it was quite the opposite. He looked actually sharper and more at it than uh, than the majority of the players out there. I mean, I always prefer to see Seamus Coleman there, regardless of how good Ben Godfrey is as a right-back or Mason Holgate is as a right-back. We lack a little bit of penetration down that flank. Uh, and I understand why, you know, sometimes Carlo does the, uh, the, the more defensive option when he's got James Rodriguez, you know, so playing on that side of the pitch. But I just think that we, we lack a little bit of something sometimes. What Lucas Dean gives us on one side of the pitch, Seamus Coleman offers us on the other. And it's a difficult balance because sometimes it can be a little bit too gung-ho at times. But it wasn't last night. I thought the balance, you know, it was okay. Uh, but Seamus, personally, I thought played really, really well. And um, when we are at the moment now with, you know, a game a week between now and the end of the season, you know, you'd imagine he'd be selected more often than not because he does, he makes things happen. And we haven't got that many creative options or, you know, sort of opportunities to you know, supply, you know, sort of assists in the team at the moment. I mean, there's no coincidence that it was his, you know, sort of quick thinking that actually created the goal last night. He was sensible, he was calm, he just held the ball up, he had a little look back, he rolled the ball, you know, so nicely into Hammers' path and was uh, rewarded with the assist. So now, whilst um, positives were thin on the ground last night, Seamus certainly offered one of them. Obviously, Gabamin, you know, so offered another as well, you know, so getting the opportunity to run out for a couple of minutes. And then obviously Hammers, you know, so getting through the game. I think that probably sums it up <laughs> in total, to be honest. But yeah, Seamus looked decent and I was, I was delighted to see it. Mm. And of course, just before the game as well, Sam, we got the news that Alan was going to miss the tie. Angelotti was calling it, you know, a small problem. He doesn't think it's going to keep him out for very long. But it was clear that Everton missed someone like Alan in midfield, didn't they? I, I, I'm convinced I'm, I'm Alan's jinx. You know, I think I've been, I've been to three Everton games this season, and he pulled his hamstring against Leicester, and he was injured for the one last night. So he's another one that I've only actually seen 
play one game, I think, um, which is which is concerning. But yeah, majorly, majorly, majorly need him back for Brighton. I think he'd be perfect for that game. I think he would have been. I think I know it's all ifs and buts, but I just think that position that uh, Palace scored from last night. I just think if Allen's on the pitch. I just don't think that happens. And I also think he's the kind of player who might be saying to Godfrey, you know, come on, lad, get in position there. You know, this is where you need to be. Um, and just kind of making sure players are on the toes. He's that kind of uh, aggressive leader. So, majorly need him back for Monday. Majorly need him back for the end of the season. And he's another one, isn't he, who has a kind of conflicting legacy at the end of the season. That You know, we've brought him in here for the here now. And I think... Probably in 60-70% of the games he's played in, I think he's probably been a contender for man of the match. You know, I think of that Tottenham game, Liverpool, uh, a couple of others, Leicester. Uh, sorry, not Leicester. There was a, but a couple of other games where, you know, I thought he was outstanding and really impressive. I think even when we got beat to Leeds, I thought he was great in that game. But then there's also been a few games where he's had a, a bit of an off day and, and he's looked leggy and then he's he's suffered quite a few injury setbacks. So, Hopefully next season, a big thing will be making sure that we keep Alan and Hammers Rodriguez. You know, I think the more you look at this squad, we need them to play. Uh, you know, tw- twenty five. Well, we need them to play thirty games a season. I think if if we're to to go where Carlo wants us to, so yeah, you know, you've got to believe in, you've got to believe Carlo when he says it's only a small knock, but. I think that small knock for Hammers ends up keeping him out for like two months, didn't it? So let's hope it's an it's an actual small knock and not a, a Hammers small knock because I really, really want him to uh, really want him to come back now for the end of the season and you know midfield with him in, especially now without Decore is is a midfield that's ten times better. Well, fingers crossed we'll have had some uh, better in injury news uh, on that front by the end of the week when we are previewing Everton's trip to face Brighton. We'll be back on Friday after Carlo's pre-match press conference to discuss the trip down to the Amex on Monday evening. Uh, But until then, thank you very much for listening. Don't forget, you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. And you can find us on Twitter and Facebook as well to join in the conversation. Just search for the Royal Blue podcast on there. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo.